So uh, if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And while you're turning there, let me just introduce myself if you are new here. So my name is Jason Tankersley. Um, I am currently the guest service pastor. Um, as I'm walking out the door from that position to, to become the, the new missions pastor here at the church. So we're in some transition here. So it's good to have you. So if you're at 1 Thessalonians 5.11, let's read. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also ye do. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day, God. I just thank you for your grace, your mercy. Father, I just thank you for the, the opportunity that you've given this morning. God, I pray that it's your words that are said. It's not mine. Father, just uh, take me out of the equation. God, I pray that you just fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you just be with Josh this morning. Help him also. God, I pray that you just open up the hearts of everybody that's here. Lord, show us all something. Show me something else, God. We just love you and, and thank you. Amen. Everybody be seated. So before we get started real quick, let's just explain the text there where Paul says, wherefore, why is he telling us this? So let's just back up a little bit into the text uh, before we get to verse 11. So what Paul's doing here is he's talking to the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians, right now, what's on their mind is they're just, they're just worried about when Jesus is coming back. That's what they're concerned about, when Jesus is coming back. They're also concerned about the judgment. And what Paul's trying to tell them here is he's trying to say, listen, as believers, as Christians, you don't need to be worried about when Jesus is coming back. That's not what your concern is supposed to be about. Don't worry about when Jesus is coming. He says, as believers... You don't need to worry about the judgment. He says, we've got more important things that we're supposed to be doing. You don't have time to rest. You don't have time to be idle right now, waiting on the return. You've got work to do. We're supposed to be out telling everybody about the good news. We're supposed to be telling everybody about Jesus. So what he's telling them here is he says, quit worrying about those things. Focus on telling people about Jesus. But Paul realizes, and what he understands here is, listen, as we wait, sometimes we're going to get discouraged. It's not always going to be easy. We're going to get discouraged. It's going to be tough. As Christians, sometimes we may even want to just throw in the towel. We want to, we want to give up. And Paul knows that. He recognizes this, that it's going to be hard work while we wait on, on Christ's return. So that's what he says. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves. He, when he says comfort yourselves, he's talking to Christians there. He's talking to, to us, to you. He's saying together as Christians, we need to be comforting ourselves. He says to edify one another, build one another up. Here's what Paul's saying. He said, guys, you need to encourage each other. You need to spend some time encouraging each other. Help each other out. We need to be telling each other, it's okay. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep up the fight. Don't worry about the small things. We don't have time to rest. Let's keep fighting the fight and let's keep going through the race. This past Monday, uh, Pastor and, and Dustin and myself, we flew the, to the Dominican for a uh, TTI leadership meeting. We were there with... Some, some people from the Dominican, uh, some Haitians, some people from Mexico, and then, of course, uh, several others from the American team. 
And when we got there, the first thing that we, we, we experienced was they had some um, lessons there that were about encouraging each other. Basically, what it was is it was uh, checking on our spiritual health. They were wanting to make sure that we were okay. They understand that the work that we're doing can be difficult sometimes, and we can get discouraged. And honestly, even sometimes we feel like we want to quit. TTI is hard sometimes. It's hard when we're focused on the church, and then we've got TTI. And then if you even take that out of it, just as a Christian, sometimes it's hard. So they spent some time uh, helping us in our spiritual health. They spent a lot of time trying to encourage us, and they were edifying us. They were helping us out. So today what I want to do is I just want to spend just a, a couple of minutes. I, I promise it won't be long. And I want to help you when it comes to encouraging others in faith and love. Because for me, this can be difficult sometimes. It can be difficult. And you know what? I don't want you to miss out on the blessing of encouraging somebody else. But listen, I don't want you to miss out on the blessing for allowing somebody else to encourage you. So when it comes to encouraging others, I just want to look at just three quick things, really quick. Number one, I want us to look at the power of words. The power of words. If we look at what it says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In Ephesians 4.29, we see that it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. This is what it's saying, guys. There's power in words. And listen, God doesn't want us going around speaking negativity into other believers. In all honesty, God doesn't want us going around speaking negativity to anybody. There's great power in words. And as Christians, listen, he expects us to use those words to, to build people up, to edify others, to encourage other believers. And we can see all throughout Scripture great examples of great men of God who spoke power and encouragement to other believers. This, this is just a few Moses encouraged Joshua. David encouraged Solomon. Paul encouraged Timothy. How about this one? Jesus encouraged the disciples. All throughout Scripture, we can find just story after story after story where people were speaking powerful words to encourage others. Listen, when you're around other believers, try to be like a Moses or a David or a Paul. Or how about Jesus? Don't be like Job or Job's friends. I'm sorry. Don't be like Job's friends. Want to find blame, point the finger, speak negative. I bet Job stayed pretty discouraged. He could have used somebody there encouraging him up. Listen, when I talk about there's power in words and you need to encourage other people, now some of you, this may wig you out a little bit. I'm not asking you to to speak poetry. I'm not asking you to write love letters to people. It's very, very simple things. I want to tell you about somebody that spoke something to me one time, and it was simple. It was very simple, but man, it, it just, it fired me up. Matter of fact, I, I instantly called Stephanie and let her know about it. 
The next morning when we had our prayer meeting, when we have praises, I shared the praise because it just fired me up. Over 20 years ago, I worked with a lady named Betty. And I can promise you over 20 years ago, I, I didn't act the way that a person should act. Well, Betty, she invited me to church every day. Every day she invited me to church. Of course, I would come up with every reason why, why I wasn't going to go with her. And a couple of years ago, I ran into Betty at Walmart. And I went up and, and asked her if she remembered me, and, and she did. And, and I just wanted to share some news with her. I said, Betty, do you remember always inviting me to church? She said, sure do. I said, I want to share something with you. A few years back, I was saved. I accepted Christ as my Savior. Tears started coming from her eyes. I mean, she was excited. I said, I got some other good news. I said, you may not believe this. I said, but can you believe I'm on staff at Temple Baptist Church? And she was praising just right there in the middle of Walmart. And this is what she told me. This was the encouragement. She said, Jason, I have prayed for you every single day. For over 20 years, this lady prayed for me. Man, that encouraged me. That fired me up. Not only did it fire me up on, on just the fact that somebody was caring about me and praying about me, but to be honest with you, it built my faith up because I said, God, over 20 years, you are answering prayers. I mean, that just honestly just built my faith up. God answers prayers. So listen, when we speak words to people, there's power in words. It doesn't have to be anything out of the ordinary. Just let somebody know you're praying for them. Let somebody know that you care about them. Let's look at the second thing. We need to be encouraging in time of trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are com comforted of God. Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Listen, we need to understand that when we follow God, all of our problems are not just going to go away. They're, they're not going to go away. But listen, we're going we're to face trials, but through those trials, God's going to provide comfort. He's going to provide strength. He's going to provide hope. He's going to provide encouragement. We can be encouraged by God just by, his, just by His presence. Listen, sometimes He's going to call us to do big things. And sometimes out of our, He's going to call us to do things that are out of our comfort zone. And this is, this is what helps us grow. But we can be encouraged that He'll never leave us. He's always going to be with us. Helping us to be strong. God's going to put others in our pathway to help us deal with our issues. When we're going through trials, you can trust that God's going to put somebody there that's, that's going to be able to help you. But you have to accept that help. You have to be willing to accept it. And the more we suffer for Christ, the more he's going to comfort us. Comfort us the more that he's going to give to us. And the trials that we endure today... They're going to prepare us later on to help us be able to comfort those that are in need and facing similar issues. Listen, we need to be able to be prepared to be able to rejoice with other believers. 
But we also need to be prepared to weep together with other believers. We need to allow God to give us the strength from our past trials so that we can be there to help somebody in their future victories. And then the last thing I want to talk about is just leading by, by example. Just leading by example. 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glory your Father which is in heaven. As Christians, we are the example to the world. Guys, what it says in Timothy there is, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you're a new believer or maybe a, a veteran saint, listen, you are the example. You've got to let your light shine. We let our light shine so that we can glorify God. You've got to take the lead. You've got to encourage others. You need to be an example worth following so others will follow you. Don't wait for somebody to encourage you. Go to them first. Don't wait. Go to them. You may find somebody in their lowest moment. You may be just what, what God has in place for them. They may be about to give up. And God is using you to be exactly what they need. Go to somebody. Encourage them. Lead by example. It's not that difficult. Listen, it's not difficult to do this. And if it is difficult for you, let me encourage you to do this. Start at home. Start at home. How powerful could it be at home if you started encouraging your children? How strong could that be? The future generation of the church, you're at home giving them the encouragement that they need. What about this? What if you start encouraging your spouse? Could you imagine the relationship between you and your spouse if you start encouraging, encouraging them in faith and in love? So I want to, I want to tell you this. I know that, that honestly it can. It can be difficult. But at some point in our lives, we've all been in a place that we could have used some, some encouragement. We've, we've all been in a place where we were discouraged and ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel and just say, enough's enough. I'm done fighting. I'm saved and that's all that's mattered. That's all that matters. I'm going to take the bare minimum. But this is biblical, guys. We read the scripture. This is biblical. We saw what Paul said. He said, that's not enough. That's not what you're called to be. As Christians, we have to continue fighting. We have work. We have a job to do. So whether it be words of, of support, or whether it be just leading by example, or whether you can just help somebody through their trials and when they're struggling, listen, you need to provide a blessing for somebody. Be a lot. Help somebody out. God will always provide. He is enough and allow him to use you. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to invite Josh up. I'm not sure where he's at, but I'm going to invite Josh up. He's going to close us out today.
Everybody, everybody give it up for Josh. All right. Well, good morning. Y'all still awake with me? Y'all ready to go? Uh, Jason uh, said a second ago, he's like, preacher didn't give us this much time. It's actually not preacher. Preacher actually gave us more than enough time. But what Jason knows is I am very long-winded. And so when you put me in a box, it's very hard. Uh, And uh, I'm so grateful for Jason that he got to go first because anybody that has to follow me would end up with like two to three minutes. And I didn't want to do that to him. He actually came to my office and he's like, dude, I was... I was so nervous when preacher asked both of us to do this. He's like, I didn't know the order. And I was just sweating. He's like, not because of the message, not because I couldn't do it. He's like, I just thought I was going to have to follow you. So, <laughs> and again, not because I'm good, just because I take that much time. So, and then if you, if you have an outline, you understand Jason's is here and mine's front and back. So anyway, so I apologize for that, but Dustin's got this timer on me and uh, we're ready to go. Um, in case you aren't aware, uh, my name is Josh Stancil. I am uh, chief of staff here at the church as well as children's pastor. So I kind of play dual roles here. Um, I'm excited to be here. I absolutely love being able to be on the stage, not because I like the limelight, but because I enjoy just the Lord using me in different ways. And so I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. And uh, we're going to kind of shift roles a little bit, but a lot of what Jason said is actually kind of blends in with my message as well. And so, Jason, I thank you for those words and and appreciate what you did. But uh, in mine, we're going to be in uh, the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, I'm going to read two verses. And you you may be thinking in two verses, how in the world did I get four points with sub points? That's just how my mind works. Uh, Lacey looked at me and she's like, yeah, good luck. (laughs) So anyway, no, I'm I'm excited. But we're going to be in Romans 12 and we're going to be in verses uh, 1 and 2. Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2. So let me read that for us. Uh, It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I absolutely love these verses, and I think you could do a whole study just on these two verses for a very, very long time. They're such powerful things that stand out to me. And today what we're going to talk about is this idea of the, the beseech, the beg, the plea. We're going to talk about the mercies of God, because I think it's good, too, to constantly be reminded of the mercies of God, what He gives us, how He blesses us. We're going to talk about this idea of a living sacrifice and how God wants that from us. And of course, that reasonable service or our reasonable way or what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to worship. And then this idea of conforming. But what's more powerful is the idea of transforming. All for to be in the will of God. So what I want to start is just to help you to understand where we're at is the Apostle Paul brings us, uh, us this letter. Um, He's just given about 11 chapters where he's been describing all of these mercies of God. And here we are in chapter 12 and we, we see it. He says, I beseech you, brethren. Basically, I am begging with you. I am pleading with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. So he says, I've just spent all this time explaining to you all the mercies that God gives us, all of the things that God has done. And because God has done such amazing things we have something we should do. 
So before I get into what he's asking of us, I just wanted to remind us of those mercies. Because I think sometimes we don't fully grasp this idea. You see, Paul did. Paul understood his position according to God. He understood that he was a sinner saved by grace. He understood that he was destined for hell, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, he now had the opportunity to be in heaven forever. So he understood this. So he's reminding everybody because of the mercies. So some of the things that he covered, number one, was the justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. He talked about the adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. He talked about this idea that we were placed under grace and no longer under the law. He explained to us how we receive the Holy Spirit to live within us. And that is so powerful in and of itself. This is the thing that connects us to Father God. We have the Holy Spirit who helps convict us. We have the Holy Spirit who helps comfort us. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us day to day. We also, Paul discussed the the promise of help in times of affliction. How amazing is it to know that when we have trials and we have issues, that we have a Father who loves us dearly that comes alongside us and He promises to help us. How great is that? We have the assurance of a standing in God's election. We have a confidence of the coming glory. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but I've heard more recently of, of we're at the end times. You see what's happening in Israel, not just in Israel, but you see what's happening here in America. You see the division. You see everything happening. And thank goodness for the coming of the Lord. We have confidence of no separation from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we see confidence in God's continued faithfulness. God is faithful. And so what Paul is saying is here is because of all of these things, I am begging you. What is he begging us to do? To present your bodies. A living sacrifice. And just to kind of understand a little bit, that was the plea. That's, that's, a, that's your first point, the plea, what Paul is asking. But the second is the requirement. So Paul says, because of these mercies... This is what I need you to do. I need you to give your bodies a living sacrifice. So just real quick to help us to understand sacrifice. This is an Old Testament term. And some of you may be familiar with this. You've heard it. Some of you may not. But Old Testament, before Jesus came, there was a process that had to happen. God asked his people to offer sacrifices for the atonement of their sin. He said, because you've done wrong, you're not in right standing with me, so I want you to do this. So what they would do is they would usually take an animal or a part of their crop and they would take it to the priest and the priest would do this this ceremony, this ritual where they would sacrifice. And it wasn't so much about the dead animal, even though the book of Romans says the wages of sin is death. So the payment for sin is death. That's what God wanted. But really what it was testing was the genuineness of their faith. To see that because of your sacrifice, where is your heart in standing with me? What does your heart show that you're giving? And where we see another illustration of this is is in the book of Genesis. We see Cain and Abel. We see Cain and Abel. Right after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin, we see the very next story that we see is Cain and Abel, two brothers. And what do they do? They both offer a sacrifice. One was accepted from God and the other was not. And that caused division. That caused the first murder that we see there. But God really saw the heart. 
Abel gave an offering that was acceptable because it came out of genuineness of his faith. Cain did not do that. And so the whole idea of this sacrifice was to say, how much do you love me? Do you, do you, do you love me with all of your heart? Do you love me with all of your faith? And so I kind of gave us some definitions there. Sacrifice, the offering of material possessions or the lives of animals or humans to a deity as an act of propitiation or worship. But I really love the second one. Giving to the Lord whatever he requires of our time, our earthly possessions, and our energies to further his work. I came across that one and that just struck me hard. Because the other one I understand. But really you think about what is your most valuable resource you have and it's your time. Are you giving your time? And then I saw our energies. Our energies. I started thinking about when we come here in the morning. What's your energy level? Like, what are you willing to give to God right now? Did you worship in the songs that we did? Did you worship him with everything you had? On your drive over, was it just energy to be able to come in here and give to the Lord? Or was it, here we go. It's only an hour. And then you see Jason step on stage. And then you see Josh. Oh my gosh. Or actually it was even before that when preacher said, I'm not here. <sighs> right? But what's your energy? Are you here just to receive? Or are you here to give? So we see the Old Testament sacrifice, but this is what I want to say. Thank goodness for Jesus. Because of Jesus, we don't have to worry about that kind of sacrifice. We don't have to worry about taking our best and taking it to a priest and just hoping and praying that it would be acceptable to God because Jesus did all of that for us. But Paul says, I want you to give your bodies a living sacrifice. And as I read this, what I see is I see an action. When the animal was, was given, it was done. It was done. It was like, it's either God's going to accept it or he's not. Animal's done. And we roll on. But with this, I see an action, a living sacrifice. It's a a continual, it's an action. It's over and over and over. He says, this is what I want you to do. Every single day, I want you to give your body a living sacrifice. As I was reading or listening to Jason, as he was giving some of his illustrations and things, and Jason talked about how his life was before and then when I see uh, Jason and I have a lot of similarities when it comes to this idea of encouraging. He, uh, he challenged and said, how would your life be like if it was different? Like if you, cha- if you encouraged your spouse better. And I turned to Lacey and I go, I am so sorry I stink at encouraging, but I love you and you're amazing. <laughs> because what I realized is when Jason said that, I'm not a big encourager. Not, not because I don't think it's important. Not because I don't think it's valuable. I'm, I'm kind of like Jason. I'm like, just do your job because it's your job. That's not what the Lord is, is asking us to do. He says, I want you to sacrifice yourself. I want you to sacrifice your desires, which you think is important. Sacrifice yourself so that you can do the work that I've asked you to do. So he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to give continually and continually and continually over and over. Not just in your prayer. I'm not just asking to read your Bible. I'm not just asking to pray every single day. I am asking you to live every single day in your community, in your workplace. I want you to die to yourself and I want you to live for me. And see, the, the thing that really just stood out to me as I'm reading this, and I'm thinking about this idea of sacrifice. I'm thinking about this idea of giving up what I want for someone else. You see, it's not about me receiving. It's about me giving. 
And I think one of the biggest problems we have in church today, I mean, there's a lot (laughs) because the world's messed up, right? But I think one of the biggest issues is a lot of us believers come in here to church to receive. We come in here because maybe our life is in shambles. Maybe we don't know how we're going to make it day to day, paycheck to paycheck, all those kind of things. And I've seen it. I've counseled. I've had all these conversations with different people. And it's just like, I think if I go to church, my life is going to get back on course. I think if I start reading my Bible, things will get better. And you know what? That's probably true, but that's not what God is asking us to do. We are called to come into this place to be encouraged, to be lifted up so we can go out and we can give. We're not coming in here to receive so that we just feel better about ourselves. That's part of it. But the reason that, that God challenges us to do that is so that we can go out and we can give. So when you come into this place of worship, It's supposed to be a place where I can say, God, I'm yours. I am surrendered. Show me who I can give to. Show me how I can sacrifice and give. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about what I'm going to receive while I'm here. It's about what am I going to get so I can give back. And that's where that part of reasonable service comes. Our reasonable way to worship is what that is meaning. Reasonable, fair, sensible. What we should do, how we should Worship is to sacrifice and die to ourselves to give to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see, when we do this, it's not about checking off a box and saying, I'm coming to the Lord, so I'm I'm within right standing of the Lord. It's about coming to the Lord and saying, I'm surrendered, I'm yours, and now I'm in this right place of worship. My heart is set on God. My mind is set on God, and I'm able to do things that I wouldn't normally be able to do. So that's the requirement. Give your bodies a living sacrifice. But as many of you may have been like I was doing, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> it says a living sacrifice. So Josh, what, are you, what is Paul asking? Obviously, he's not asking us to destroy our bodies for that. He's asking us to live, to live day to day. So what is the process? That's point three. The process how do we do this? And the first thing, I didn't list it here and I should have, but the first thing is to be a believer, a born again Christian. And the reason I didn't write it as a point is because it's so obvious and clear in Paul's text here that he is talking to believers. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Everything that's been given to the people that he's talking to are believers. They have trusted in Jesus. They have received the mercies of God because they are believers in Jesus. And the next part we're going to talk about is not conforming to the world, but being transformed. And the only way you can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit unless you have given your life to Jesus. Because you can't do it by yourself. I tried to do it without Jesus. A lot of us have tried to do things without Jesus. And when it talks about a transformation, a renewing of your mind, it cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit. So step number one, be a believer. Be a believer. But he says, as we're going through this, as you're a believer, he says, do not conform to the world. And I think this means different for every single person in this room. Don't conform to the world. Now, it's not different for God, but it's different for each and every one of us in here. 
God says, I don't want you to conform to it. The word conform, I put to reduce to a likeness or correspondence in manners, opinions, or moral qualities. You see, conforming to this world could be a lot different. And this is what I mean. Um, I like to watch movies. Anybody else in here love to watch movies? I love it. Like I have like every streaming service you can have. I go to the movies. Like I literally will watch a movie. Like the other night, like Lacey looked over at me. She's like, it's two o'clock in the morning. You're still watching a movie. I must be keeping her awake. But I'm like, yes, yes, I do. But I watch it over and over and over. And I love a lot of different kinds of movies. I like action. I like all kinds of things. Well, what I found myself doing is, is, and what I found out, not just from movies, but just living, is when we're in the world and we're constantly surrounded by it, we become numb to things. We become numb to things. And the more we're around it, the kind of the worse it gets. So, like, I'll be watching an action movie. And like, I'll just be there by myself or something. I'm watching it and man, it's, it's awesome. It's rocking on Hey, pretty good movie. And then all of a sudden my kids may walk in like halfway into the movie. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, there's a cuss word. There's a bad word. Why all of a sudden did they just put this in the middle of the movie? When what I don't understand is it's been happening the entire movie. But the only reason I'm now aware of it is because my child are in there. My children are precious to me and I try to guard them and I try to protect them. So my alarms went off and I, all of a sudden... And it's like, Lacey will look at me like, nope, I could hear him from in there. That's been the whole time. I'm like, what? No way. But it's true. And what we allow to come into our lives and what we surround ourselves with just kind of becomes natural. We become numb to the things that we shouldn't. Another case in point, I don't know why I have two illustrations with bad words. I promise I, don't, I, I hate bad words. Like they really get on my nerves. I was a guy when I was playing pickup basketball with grown men. Like if they start cussing, I'll, I'll call them out on potty mouth. You can ask anybody I play basketball with. I'll be like, potty mouth. I'm just weird like that. But when I was in high school, I played football. And, you know, tough football players. And we're cool. Uh, one of the weirdest things with teenagers is watching when they start to cuss and they think it's, it's cool. But they sound horrible. And it doesn't even make sense of what they're saying. But I remember being a teenager and, like, I would get around other people and they would have bad words. And I, it got on my nerves. But the more I was around those people, like all of a sudden I had a word that slipped out and I was like, whoa, that was weird. And the next thing I know, I keep going. Oh, there's another word. And before I know it, I was using some of the same language they did. I was becoming numb to it. But of course, when I was like, whoa, 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 and I put up the guards and I put up the boundaries and I stepped away, all of a sudden I got clean to that. But it's not just bad language. Take, for instance, you surround yourself around negative people. What naturally happens? You become more negative. You surround yourself around anxious people. What happens? You naturally become more anxious. You surround yourself around people who don't value church and the Bible as much. What happens? You've missed the last three Sundays because you had an awesome, amazing time at the lake the last three Sundays. So you can take whatever you want, but as you surround yourself with the world, you become numb to the things. And you see, God isn't indifferent like he 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 gives clear examples of of how you should live your life what you should be surrounded by and so what god is saying is and and paul here is saying don't conform to the things around you get away from it And, and and honestly that's what the enemy wants the enemy wants you to conform because this world is his right he is living in it he is he is causing division he is causing anger he is causing bitterness in the world he's turning this world upside down he's causing all kinds of issues and the enemy wants you to conform he wants you to be the opposite of what the lord is but what paul says here is i want you to tr- to transform i want you to be different 
by the renewing of your mind. And, and we've talked about this transformation process before. Uh, Preacher has done messages on this, and we talked about this transformation, this metamorphosis. He's talked about the idea of, of how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, and we've talked about how this works. And what was really cool about this situation is it helped me to understand the transformation process really, really well. And the reason for that is, is I always thought like when I got saved, everything was supposed to like, all bad things were supposed to stop and now I'm good forever. But when I look at the process from a caterpillar to a butterfly, I remember when I was in school and like, I thought this was going to be this cool thing that I just got to watch when we were in school. Cause we did the whole, get a caterpillar and it got into a cocoon. And I'm like telling my mom next day, I'm like, I'm going to get to see the butterfly tomorrow. And I show up and it's still in the cocoon. Okay, maybe tomorrow. And I come back and it's still there. What happened? My teacher lied to me. No, it's a process. And just like with our transformation in Jesus, it's a process. It's a continued process. And there's going to be struggles. There's going to be fears. Think about why that butterfly, and you can do all kinds of, you can read. It's actually pretty fascinating. But what the caterpillar has to do while it's in there and the process and the struggle and the pains. But what's amazing about it is there's a promise end. When the caterpillar stays in there and it works and it struggles and it does what it does, there's beauty at the end. And it's the same way with us. We're going to be in a constant battle. There's going to be constant struggles. There's going to be this pulling to try to get us back into the world and to do the things that the devil wants us to do. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be not easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. But the Lord says, I want you to do this. There's a promise in. There's a reason for this. And when we can begin to do this, we can begin to do this. Great things happen. And the final thing that helps us with this is to be spirit-filled. So be a believer. Don't conform. Be transformed. So how do we transform? Have a spirit-filled life. Have a spirit-filled life. And we've talked about this a lot. But what does that look like? What does that look like? That means waking up every single morning to basically dive yourself and be able to say, Lord, my life is yours. Point me in the direction you want me to go. Help me to come in contact with the people you want me to come into contact with. I'm yours. Use me, Lord. No matter what it is, I am yours. Every single morning. Maybe you're like me and you also have to do it at lunch. And maybe even at dinner too. (laughs) But it's just in this constant state of, Lord, use me. I am yours. I am surrendered to your will. And you see, everybody, what the Lord wants from us is he wants us to sacrificially swallow our pride to serve him. Some other examples of this. I, I, I could pull up my Facebook right now on my phone. And I could see people who profess to be Christians. And I could probably, I'd probably be safe to say, I could pull up my phone right now and probably find three, four, five, six, seven posts of people who claim to be Christians, but their posts do not show that. Or that they've commented on someone else's page because they're frustrated, they're mad. We could leave after service today and we could probably go to the restaurant and we could see professed Christians who are just chewing out their waiter or waitress because their meal isn't right or their steak isn't cooked right. I mean, we could go on and on and on. And and what the Lord wants from us, he says, stop that mess. I want you to swallow your pride. I want you to give up what you think you need 
And I want you to serve those around me. I want you to live every single day, every moment of your life for the person across from you. I want you to give your time, your energy, and your resource to my people. Stop thinking you deserve to receive all of this. And I want you to give just like I've given to you because I've given to you. Not because it's a checklist and okay, well, God's now told me I have to give stuff. No, he says, I want you to do it because you love me. And because you love me, you'll love the people around me. He's like, I want you to destroy the bitterness in your life because I've told you it's not right. And I want you to make it right with the people around you. I want you to die to yourself for a better purpose. And what's the result? The result is amazing. And it says, the result here, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says, God wants us to prove it. So put this into action. Die to yourself Surrender yourself every single day. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by what Jesus is telling you to do and watch what happens. You will be in the will of God. You see, people make this so so difficult. People will say, I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. I just want to know. I just... And I want you all to know, I, I I never imagined myself on this stage. You asked me 15 years ago, Josh, do you think you'll be preaching in front of an entire congregation? Absolutely not. So do y'all think God just appeared to me in a dream one night and was like, hey, no. But I know right now that I'm 100% in the will of God, not because I'm standing here, not because I'm delivering his word, but because I've chosen every single day to be surrendered to him. I never thought I'd be on this stage. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to baptize anybody. Never thought I'd have the opportunity to personally lead people to Jesus. I never thought I would personally be able to have started children's ministry, run it, and do all that kind of stuff. Never thought that in a million years. Never thought it was in the realm of, uh, of, never thought it could happen. But what I chose to do many years ago is I chose to say, God, I'm completely surrendered to you. Now, has it been perfect? Absolutely not, because it's been a process. There's been struggles, there's been fears, there's been pains, but there's a promise in And I decided to wake up each and every morning to say, God, what is your will for me? God, where would you have me to be? One step led to another step that led to another step that led to another step. And now I can say, because of that, I'm standing right here. And if God told me today and came to me and said, Josh, it's time for you to go to another country and share the gospel with your family. I'd do it. Lacey's over there looking at me like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not really. She loves the Lord too. But if God, if God came to me and said, hey, we're going to turn your life completely upside down and everything's changing. I'd probably say, Lord, that's going to be a little inconvenient. I may even whine a little bit. But I can tell you right now, I would do it. Because the Lord has promised an end that maybe I don't fully understand. And I can also tell you this, because I have died to myself and my wants and my needs, because I've realized, just like Jason was sharing, we, we have to share encouraging words. We have to give to one another. I have seen more blessings in my life, not even financially, just how I can see the people across from me when I've helped them. When I've been able to share encouraging words with them. When I've been able to cry with them. When I've been able to, even though my meal was horrible at that restaurant, and I just swallowed my pride and said, ma'am, 
I'm sorry you are dealing with this toxic environment, but you are doing fantastic. Is there anything I can pray with you about? To see the tears of joy and to hear the words, no one has ever shown me as much care as you have. Those are the blessings that come. Where I'm perfectly in the will of God because I've died to myself and what I think I need to saying, God, you know what I need. And I'm willing to serve you however I can. Let's be in the perfect will of God. Let's die to ourselves. I have some questions to ask you, and then I'm going to pray and we'll be done. The first one is, how can you work on that this week? How can you work on it? How can you die to yourself? How can you live for him? What do you need to give up in your life to follow him better so that you're not conforming? What transformation needs to happen in your life? How about this one? What attitude do you need to change to be more like the character of God? Who do you need to forgive this week to be in a better relationship to Christ? So let's do that. Let's be a living sacrifice. Let's stop conforming. Let's transform our lives to be in the perfect will of God.